always been a fan of the underdog. I, there's nothing more that I love rooting for, like, the athlete or the team that's against all odds and whatnot. And that's kind of how I always viewed myself, that I wasn't always the best athlete, but, you know, built upon hustle and heart, nobody was going to work harder than me. And if nobody worked harder than me, then nobody could judge me for what I was going through. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 31 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm stoked to share this inspiring convo with badass mom and maternal mental health warrior, Kristen Mellon. After battling postpartum depression following the birth of her daughter, Ellie, Kristen got involved in 2018 with the local chapter of Every Mother Counts and started Run to Believe and the KNT Foundation to honor her good friend, Kristen Nicole Thorson, who lost her battle with postpartum depression to raise awareness and money for moms experiencing hardship through the prenatal and postpartum period. Kristen was a four-sport athlete growing up and played Division III soccer and lacrosse despite never having played before college. And though she took great pride in being an athlete and an integral part of her teams, she had struggled with anxiety and depression since her teenage years. I don't feel if I was born with natural skill or talent— Never the most gifted athlete, and living with mental illness that I hid and was ashamed of made me feel as if I was an outsider, never capable of any good. But she always prided herself on the simple fact that no one worked as hard as she did. Kristen was feeling empowered, having recently completed her first 50-miler with a friend in November at the JFK 50-miler. Her running is a great outlet for stress and anxiety, and she's using it personally and within her community to help others and raise money. I'm inspired by her story and hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good afternoon, Kristen. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you here with us in the middle of the afternoon. We got beautiful weather. Spring is upon us. And uh, who was expecting this after the after the frigid, cold <laughs> weather? And you're up. You're up. Tell everybody where you're from because up by you, I think it's a little colder, right? Yeah, upstate New York, uh, Troy, right outside of Albany. Um, when I ran my long run uh, this past Saturday, it was a real feel of one. Uh, so today is a big difference, but what we like to call this is fake spring in upstate New York. So I'm not completely uh, confident that the cold is gone for good. It it probably hasn't left you up in your parts yet. Um it's start, we're starting to get a little cautiously optimistic here uh, right outside New York City, but I agree with you. You can't be fooled by this. You know, a couple of warmer days and then you'll be back in the in the double layer tights again and you know, <laughs> exactly. having to put having to put the yak track spikes on, you know, to stop from uh, killing yourself. Exactly. So uh, on Instagram, you're me- it's Melon K, right? Melon K. Yep. So uh, I get this question often, too. Melon is my maiden name. Hence the Melon K. It was what I started with. I never changed it, but people call me Melonk. 
And then I tell them the story and they're like, oh, that makes a little bit more sense now. <laughs> well, you know, we had to ask because of course. People, no, I appreciate that. You know, sometimes people just have the most insane backstory and sometimes it's something super simple. So good. We good that we got good that we got that cleared up. So tell everybody like where you grew up as a kid and you know what that was like. Um, so I grew up, um, born and raised in upstate New York. Uh, I grew up about 45 minutes south of where I am now in a really small town. I mean, my graduating class was 110 people. Um, not much to do out there. A lot of farmland. So, um, how many stoplights? Uh, no, no stoplights. <laughs> no stoplights. Oh my god! Lots gosh. of beer, farm across the street. You know, maybe there was one actually, like by the by the school, but that was it. Um, so I think my parents, I mean, threw me into sports immediately when I was young. I mean, I learned to ski when I was three, started playing soccer when I was four, cause there's not really much else to do. Um, so I grew up a true athlete. I would like to say, um, a four sport athlete. Soccer was my main sport. Um, and I don't know, I think it's like what I'm most, um, athlete is like a title that I've always felt comfortable, um, idling myself at. It's a good title. And I love the fact that you're well-rounded and you got an early start. Um, and I see so many kids today, um, a lot of the youth sports that are going on today, you see kids really specializing. So if they're a good lacrosse player and they're into lax, they're, they're playing lacrosse all year round. If they're a really terrific soccer player, they're not only on uh, outdoor travel teams, they're on indoor travel teams and then strength training, you know, in the middle of the year, it's, it is literally end to end. So these kids... Uh, the competitive kids, the ones who are super talented, a lot of them tend to be 100% focused on that one sport. And it's just something, you know, that's happened of late, maybe the last few years of that period of specialization. And for me, I wouldn't trade my youth because I was just like you. I mean, I was football, wrestling, and baseball, and I played each of those sports and loved them all, although baseball was always my favorite, and I played Division One college baseball. I just love transitioning, you know, into wearing my football equipment and playing in the snow or the mud. And then, you know, I also played basketball for a while too, but I just liked wrestling more. Um, I enjoyed that more. And baseball was always my true love. But I love the fact that you were, you know, playing four different sports. I mean, you were you were doing it all. So you had soccer, you had basketball, you did softball, you did lacrosse, and of course, running. And I remember when we were chatting back and forth, I think this was absolutely the best. I had to just make a little note for myself because my son ran steeplechase in high school. And I think <laughs> I remember you telling me you were the first steeplechase runner at your high school. So that's pretty sick. Yeah, it was like, I was, I was a sprinter. That was my thing. I was, you know, very fast and they came out with steeplechase and I was like, I have to do that. My coach was like, you're not a distance runner. I said, I don't care. I want to be the first girl that runs steeplechase. Uh, so I did it, but so go back to what you said. I played soccer in college. That was my big, you know, focus, but I love the other seasons because it gave you a chance to just enjoy playing the sports. You're still training. Um, my husband's actually a high school varsity basketball coach. And we, my feeling is, is that kids, I understand the specialization in a specific sport, but I firmly believe like JJ Watt, he always says be a multi-sport athlete. When I hear these kids are quitting basketball because they want to focus on football, I'm like, oh, they're killing themselves. Like they're going to get burned out. They need that rest. They need that fun. Um, so I understand specializing it and, you know, the club teams doing all that, but you can still, you know, have some fun and. I know people worry about injuries and whatnot, but 
honestly, if you're smart about it, you're going to be fine. So that's a big thing. It's I, I want my daughter, hopefully my daughter is four and a half. I hope she's athletic. Um, she's a little clumsy, so who knows, but I hope she plays a bunch of sports because I don't know what we're going to do with our time then. <laughs> she will. Um, you know, you never know if they're going to gravitate to the sports that you truly love. Uh, cause my ex was a terrific marathon runner. I used to run with her and we met through running and I coached her and, um, we're still the best of friends, you know, so many years after getting divorced and our son's 23 now, but you know, as much as we loved running and it was just oozing out of our pores, you know, Ronnie viewed running as a punishment, like a lot of kids for his other sports. And I coached all of his travel baseball teams and, you know, he was super talented pitcher and outfielder. And, you know, running was something I could only get him and the other kids to do when it was either part of a drill, like first to third, as fast as we could go and dive head first or other, you know, crazy drills that I would concoct just to get them to run. But the idea of running, like, okay, we're going to run a mile before batting practice. I'd be like, what? I'm like, yeah, I used to have to do this for college all the time. Well, yeah, a mile. That seems far. You know, <laughs> everything was open to debate, you know, it was like, but um, I think that the multiple team sports, you know, going back to the initial point we were making, I think it also gives you a chance to, A, you're meeting other coaches, right? So you're exposed to other coaches, coaches' philosophies, styles of how they treat an athlete and they work with you. So you have an opportunity to meet people and be influenced by them outside of, and many of them are your teachers, of course, but until, you know, maybe sometimes when you get to college, if it's really an elite school or something, maybe they're not teaching, maybe they're just really there as a full-time coach. Um, but you're exposed to so much more, not only from the coaching and the mentorship side, but then also meeting other kids. A lot of times you don't play just, so, you know, the softball girls or the softball girls maybe, and the basketball girls are that group, but the track and field group could be totally different. So now you're in, you know, different groups of people and you're mixing it up. I couldn't agree more. And that's um, when I went to college to play soccer, I was a striker and I was rather fast and the lacrosse coach, you know, pulled me aside and said, Hey, have you ever played lacrosse? I said, I've never even picked up a lacrosse stick in my life. She said, well, can I teach you? And I said, okay, you know, got cleared by my coach and I played two seasons. And those two seasons were some of my best college memories because the stress was off me. I was learning a new sport. I was in the best shape of my life because I was training harder than other people were in the off season. It really, it, it, it helped my soccer game. I was in the best shape ability-wise and everything like that. So it's amazing what playing one sport or having something can do for another. So I definitely, I'm all for it. I think what a great experience too, um, because a lot of times when we go to a school, particularly like a division one school to play a sport, um, I went for baseball, you know, that'd be akin to, you know, the tennis coach or somebody saying, Hey, I saw you hitting ground strokes with my number one singles player. You want to play in the tennis team? Well, <laughs> that would be a bad example because they're in the same season. But, you know, in this case, you know, lacrosse and soccer were in different, different seasons, you know, look, soccer being in the fall and lacrosse being in the spring. So you were able to do that and it's super cool. And yeah, you, you, ha you, you described it beautifully. There is no pressure there. And most of the times the pressure is self-imposed anyway, we're putting it on ourselves. I I mean, almost every really good college athlete, particularly the runners that I talked to, their experience at running was awful when they were in college. They didn't have a good experience. They, everything from eating disorders to injuries and stress fractures or, you know, not a comfortable relationship with a coach. They didn't mesh or maybe certain teammates. And then, yeah, every once in a while, I'll come across someone who just started running in their youth and they still have that same passion and fire for today. So for me, and that's amazing. Yeah. I'm thankful that I didn't start running, um, 
you know, similarly to you, you know, after my D1 career, I felt like I needed something to, you know, you know, keep that spark going. You know, I wasn't going to like play softball and, you know, get a beer gut like a lot of my friends <laughs> who but were, yeah, I mean, but that's, that's the evolution that you see. And, you know, sure, there's competitive men's and women's softball leagues after high school and college. And, you know, sure, those, those athletes are fit and they're in shape. And I'm not saying every guy or no, woman who play softball have a beer belly because I'm going to get bombed by anybody on the show. So bring it on, man. Haters, you can come at me, man. I, I'm not shy, man. It's all if good. My, when my husband listens to us, he will appreciate this because he always was like, you know, I played in a, I played in a softball league. I'm like, the beer league doesn't count like, in your 30s. Like, come on. I love it. I love it. But everybody does it. So yeah. it's fun. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, so so what a cool experience for you getting to play two sports. And um, so you were a striker in soccer, so you got to score the goals. That's totally badass. So um, you're like, give it to me. I'll, I'll take care of it. Exactly. Nice. It was in my senior year. It was my best year of my career. And it just was like the perfect ending. Um, you know, I, I played for years after I played at a local place. Um, and I was running then just to keep in shape. And then my body just got a little too old. I was throwing my back out. So that's when I started really my PT, who I see regularly with running was kind of like, you got to pick or choose. You're either going to run or you're going to keep throwing your back out playing soccer. And that's when I really, you know, back, I think it was like 2013. I kissed my first true love goodbye and <laughs> haven't played since, which is really sad, but I just, I love the game. I love watching, you know, hearing about it, um, you know, hearing kids in the neighborhood talking about playing it. So yeah, it's good times. Good part of my life, big part of my life. So. Well, just advising you, cause that's my job. I have to advise and be a podcast host. Um, that was the moment for me. Um, you know, when my son got to like T-ball age, you know, I was living in New York city and, uh, to coach, you know, at the youth level and pretty much most towns, I wouldn't speak for every town, but most towns require you to live in the town you're in. If you're going to be a coach, you know, they don't really want some guy or woman sailing in from, you know, another state <laughs> coming in to tell their kids how to, you know, play youth soccer. Like, you know, who's this chick, Kristen, what does she want? What's she bother? What's she doing? She won't play my kid. What's her problem, man? Like, exactly. oh, wait, my son's not going to be the starting shortstop. Um, no, your son sucks. Um, and he can't hit and he can't catch and he can't throw. But other than that, he's a super good kid and I love him. And please, we need him to keep coming every single game. But, um, exactly. that was, that was my, uh, ticket back into baseball after so many years I didn't play, uh, you know, there's a lot of over 30 and 40 leagues where guys are super competitive and they're still playing really well. And, you know, the pitching is obviously, you know, the velocity isn't there that what you're hitting in D one, but the rest of the game is solid. I mean, everybody's certainly a couple of steps slower, but the quality of baseball is still good. But just like you said, your body will break down playing a sport like that, you know, diving head first, like I did in the outfield all the time and slide. Sliding every basis, yeah, you're not going to be able to pull that stuff off in a certain age, and you're you're just going to end up, you know, in the ER, and it's not going to end well. I always say to everyone, I'm like, I may be 34, but like my body is at least 80 years old with all the training and everything. <laughs> and I look at like new runners and how like good they feel, and I'm I'm always like I joke, I'm like they're cheating, like they don't have all this wear and tear on their from their body for years. Like I'm like, no, I have to age up a little bit, so. But, you know, I tore my ACL in, in 2005, my freshman year playing soccer and 
had to get surgery and I still have, you know, hip and calf issues, you know, coming, stemming from that. So, you know, those old college injuries, you thought that, oh, I'm invincible. They won't bother me. They secretly, you know, sneak up on you and find a way to still just make you remember a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah. They're, they're the permanent reminders. And I think it's just <laughs> important, uh, particularly with COVID this year, um, which just virtually almost every race being canceled last year. Certainly, you know, we uh, had the chance to run the JFK 50, which was epic. Um, and is registration just opened and they're already like practically sold out. So both of us better get our asses moving and sign, <laughs> sign up for that thing. Don't worry. I, I'll, I'll call Devin and put the fix in if anything goes wrong. I'll, I'll get us hooked Seriously, up. the best race ever though. Yeah, like the best. no doubt. So I'm, I'm going to have to have Devin on the show because I've had multiple guests who've run the JFK 50. Um, and I will just talk anyone's ear off as I'm sure you will, because it's such <laughs> when, when you're in COVID year and nothing happens for an entire year and, and literally, I don't know if it was the Washington post, somebody, some Washington paper broke the story, like trying to shut the race down like days I before. Remember I remember reading that, yeah. these articles saying, Oh, this race isn't going to happen now. It's going to get yes. shut down. And I was like messaging with Devin and she's like, you know, hang in there. And I'm like, I'm coming, I'm coming. I'm driving my own car. I'm not having any humans with me. And I'm going to go in my own hotel room. I'm going to lock myself <laughs> in. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do this race and I'm going to sleep overnight. Cause I sure as hell ain't driving like, you know, five, six hours back or whatever the heck it was. Um, but what an experience. And I know your experience. I remember, with I remember seeing that article on Twitter and literally being like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. I did not work my ass Thank off you. to this Thanks. to get canceled. And I remember just reading, like, you know, the behind the scenes, reading everybody's comments. Like, I can't believe people are going to run this and being like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the term freedom of the press is like, fuck freedom of the press. Like, are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> like, seriously, like you have nothing better to do. You're going to like trash runners who want to run an ultra. Like, leave us alone. We're running outside on the CNO canal and on the trail on the Appalachian and trail. Nobody, like, nobody is that close to each other. Yeah. And, and by the way, last time I checked, I wasn't reading any articles about a bunch of people getting COVID that weekend because no <laughs> one did. Because we had our masks up at the start, we had our masks up at every aid station, and we had our masks up when we finished, and they did a freaking brilliant job. They Literally did an amazing job. The best. Like, you look at the pictures or, like, videos of, like, the finish line, you know, the stuff you didn't really realize. Every single person has a mask. Everyone's kind of split up. It was, they did such a phenomenal job. Yeah. enough good things about it. Yeah, honestly. I mean, it's... I got a little afraid on the mountain that <laughs> I was never going to make it off the mountain, but... Yeah, the AT, the story is because Devin had some fun with me in my post. She said the AT, I said, I had to pay the AT toll. Said, I understand <laughs> there's a toll when you run the Appalachian Trail. And as a rookie, you have to pay the toll. She goes, oh yeah, there's a blood toll. I said, well, I, I left plenty of blood. So am I good for next year? <laughs> she goes, I don't know if I would go that far. She goes, I can't say. She goes, you know, but I know one thing, you'll be extra careful next year. Oh yeah, go. Oh yeah, I'll be careful. I'll be extra careful. It's funny because the girl, uh, um, one of my teammates, Kristen, her name's Kristen. She's from Pennsylvania. She ran it with me. And we, you know, like on that trail, you, we stuck out like a sore thumb. I feel like everybody that passed us was like, what are these two girls doing on the mountain? But once we hit the road and we started passing people, people are like, oh my God, you made it. Like You yeah. guys are killing it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly... For anybody out here who's not running ultra yet, um, I've done, I had two guests on who were just both fantastic. Both of them, it was their first ultra. It was your first ultra. It was my second. 
Um, and it was my second 50. But I cannot speak more highly of a race um, for someone to go and you know, put their toe in the ultra water. Um, it really is experience that. Yeah. yeah the, the Appalachian trail, as you said, is very difficult. It's really challenging. And if you're smart and you just don't rush, and even if you walk most of it or just walk jog in your areas, because look, there's a lot of leaves, there's a lot of rocks and tree roots underneath. And sometimes, you know, you feel like you're landing on something and it's okay. And the next thing you know, it's not okay. And you could be down for the count, but that's only what, 13 to 15 miles. It's like 15 and a half, but out of that 15 and a half, it's not all on the trail. Like some of it was on the paved road and the other stuff. But once you get off of there, man, you got the most gorgeous canal oh, to run on beautiful. you know with the potomac river and even though the crowds were way less this year as we both know um there was still a really hearty enthusiastic group of people out there most of them probably family members of uh runners like us who were out there cheering their heads off screaming and dogs and stuff and no I mean, it was yeah it was amazing i can't imagine it with more people because it just was and we did we walked a lot the first 15 miles we knew that going in and we knew we were both road runners, you know, just, you know, first time on a trail. And we we're like, all right, once we hit, you know, the trail and then the road, we'll make up time there. And it just, we got to really enjoy it though. Um, I mean, my head was always on a swivel, like looking for David Goggins, even though I knew he didn't know where, <laughs> near where I was running, but. <laughs> yeah. Yep. He, uh, he, he ripped through there. Although, you know, obviously n totally different level to what the crazy elite uh, Ultraman and women run, although he is super elite at the really, really longer stuff. But, you know, not, I mean, the times that they're running, they're just, you know, bonkers, just completely bonkers. And uh, it's amazing. Um, it's one thing to be blown away by how fast they can run on the CNO canal. That's one thing. But to see how fast that they can run on that Appalachian trail that we both know that in one second, you could be down face first for the count and like have multiple broken bones and be like gushing blood. And they're just ripping, ripping through it, over it, under it, around it, like graceful beyond belief. And, and Hey, they fall too, man. They fall too. They, they take falls. Uh, Walmsley, all of those guys do Camille Heron. Um, but man, they're just amazing and uh and it was an amazing thing to see yeah like to see people blowing by us and being able to run like that it just i don't know i i think marathoners don't get me wrong like i mar i love the marathon i think marathoners are badass but like seeing that was a total like it just it's up a notch because it's so crazy the conditions and what they run through and how fast they do it like it's unbelievable i think it's a great it's a great point Kristen, because um Again, if most of my friends um, and a lot of the the guests that were on the show initially were centered around running the Six Abbott majors that are part of the Six Star Series, and um, obviously Tokyo, Boston, London, Berlin, Chicago, New York. And you know, so many people are chasing that dream, and it's a big aspirational goal. And it's hard as hell to get into any of these races. You know, just to to time qualify is incredibly hard. To get the time off from whatever your job or career is, to have the money to travel halfway around the globe and back, and then of course the fitness level to be able to stay healthy enough to to keep knocking these off. But I feel like there's been so much frustration from runners with all these races canceling, and I just keep telling people, you know what? There's other things that you can do, okay? Do something charitable, get into the ultra world. And you don't even have to be ultra, run a trail race. Doesn't even have to be an ultra marathon. You could run a, a 15 or a 20 mile trail race. Trail races are happening. They're easily 
not easily, but more easily put together. They still have to get their permits. They still have to put a race plan together. And we both talked about how JFK did such a beautiful job of making it safe for everyone involved. So I think it's never been a better time to get outside and try trail and ultra running. I agree. And uh, honestly, like that, that's how I got into it. I was uh, supposed to run Chicago um, for my ninth marathon last fall for Every Mother Counts. And I was turning 34 um, in September and I kind of was playing with the mind, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, why don't I run 34 miles for 34 years on the weekend of? Um, Because I needed something else. I wasn't going to train and speed work and all this for a race that wasn't going to happen. And I wasn't going to try to run a PR for a virtual race. It just, it wouldn't do good for me. So literally my first run, I did it for my Chicago training, came in, got the cancel email, texted my coach and said, all right, 34 miles, we're doing it. And I ran it on Chicago weekend. We actually ended up running 35 miles and I felt amazing because it was just such a switch. Nobody cared about you're talking to your friends. I had friends and family lining up. And that's when um, we found a, a girlfriend that I ran the 35 with. We found the JFK 50. And I said, I'm just going to do it. Like, I'm already halfway there. Like, I'm working from home. I have all this extra time that we can't do anything. I'm going to dive into something different. And it was hands down the best decision I could have made for myself for my running and for my mental like health, because I needed something to keep me going and to make me feel like I had purpose. And it was so badass. Like I still can't, like I, I get tears or like, you know, chills when people are like, Holy shit, you ran 50 fucking miles. And I'm like, yeah, I did. Yeah, I fucking did. Like, it's just such an amazing accomplishment. Um, so honestly, I, I echo what you say, like right now things are going wrong. Perfect time to, to, you know, throw yourself into trail running, ultra running, because those are the races that I think are able to go on because people are so spread out and it gives your body a break from, you know, the marathon, from the sprinting, for the constant beating on the road. It just, I mentally and physically needed it for my marathon running. So my plan is, is to run another 50, um, up in Ithaca this spring on Memorial day weekend, the Cayuga trails 50. I've run the Cayuga trails 50. Did you like it? Oh my God. It's insane. You have to lie to me and tell me you liked it anyway. It's, it's absolutely utterly spectacularly beautiful. Uh, insanely challenging just because of the steps that are, you're going to feel like you're in, if you happen to be a fan of Lord of the Rings and I am um, just because the age my son was growing up and, and, you know, he actually spent his junior year at Oxford um, and he's where he's a huge token fan and um, read all the books and read all the Hobbit books when he was really young. I mean, he was just always into literature. And so to go to Oxford, you know, and, you know, just basically be part of all that tradition, um, you know, where, these guys were hanging out together, you know, C.S. Lewis and, and Token were buddies, like reading each other's manuscripts when they were in school. And to run there, it, the scenes are right out of Lord of the Rings movie. I mean, you're expecting, you know, the Balrog dragon to come up, you know, crossing over <laughs> these waterfalls and like Gandalf is going to appear with the staff or something and be like, you know, you shall not pass, you know, and ram the staff down. Like I was like looking around going, is anybody fucking anybody coming for me here? Like maybe somebody should come from here and get me out of here. Cause I don't want to go up these steps anymore, man. These are crazy. 
But it is. I do love that though. It, it is, sounds awesome it's though. It's spectacular. It is absolutely 100% spectacular. And the truth is, um, I had a 100 miler planned for myself April 24th, which I'm so sad. It was down at the CNO Canal. And, you know, even my sports doctor from HSS, who is like, he doesn't, like, you would have to be dead for him to actually allow you to have crutches. I mean, I have a fractured <laughs> knee. And the guy's like, crutches? No, no, we don't do any crutches in here. And I go, up, up top, brother. Up top, man. Like, I don't want any crutches, man. Fuck that. Crutches are, that's what crutches are. They're crutches, man. We don't need them. Make, exactly. Heal your body, get stronger, go to work. So I don't think I could be ready. Oh, it's Memorial Day. There's there's definitely a chance I could be ready by Memorial Day. We'll see. I mean, I love that race. I don't like it. I love it. And just like we had that amazing experience with the JFK volunteers now, epic they were. Be prepared to be wowed and amazed by these people in the aid stations. They're just going to blow you away. They're going to, they got snow cones, man. They got like, they got Starburst, you know, jelly beans and gummy bears and and bacon. And I mean, I it's crazy. I'm less like, I'm going to hang out at the aid stations. I'm going to stay here for a while. I'll just hang out here. I remember having a conversation with somebody at the end of the JFK. Like it was like mile like 45 and I was like, my god all the food like that's the best part like in a marathon you're like oh food water that's it like this you're like potato chips like you know flat coke i was like i wish i realized that like at mile 20 it's it's so funny how it's just so different but i'm looking forward to it so well and i finally I, feel uh, like i'm my training this week is starting to click again so Good vibes going forward, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. The vibes are strong. So I want to go back um, to a couple of points you made before, because it, it echoed something uh, my last guest had on. And um, she and a group of three other women um, did something called the Desert Roses Challenge and um, running around the perimeter of Qatar, oh um, which is like 500 kilometers in five days and, you know, running all day and all night, camping outside, just, just an epic, you know, adventure in every way, journey fraught with all sorts of things, injuries, things happening. Just this, that's, that's life. That's ultra marathon running. That's what happened. You fall, you break your ankle. Um, you know, you can't sleep at night. You can't get fuel down. You're troubleshooting on the fly. You're figuring things out. And, um, one of the things that she said, which just echoed with me, cause it's what you said. It's like, she basically said, if I can finish a 50, 50 mile race, like what else can I do in my life? Like what else could I do? And I could hear the same energy and excitement in your voice that I heard in her voice and Heather's voice. And it's, it was in my voice too. Like in that race in, in Cayuga, I didn't get an official finish because we got lost, like really badly lost. Like you ran JFK, I ran JFK. It'd be kind of hard to get lost at JFK because you're really just, you're on that, the AT and even the fastest men and women, other than them, most people are at a pace where you can see them all the time. And, you know, the path is pretty straightforward. It's tree-lined. You can see where you're going. And when you get off there, you get under the road a little bit until you finally get to the canal. And then there's simply no way you could get lost then. Then you're on the roads at the end. So it's, it's a race for us for an ultra. There really isn't any work for you other than the hard work of fueling and figuring out a way to keep moving to get to the finish line. Well, Cayuga is not like that. Cayuga has some spots where you got to really pay attention to the trail markers. And that was my first one. And 
I was with this guy. He's an awesome guy. My This guy I met in the race, Matt. And he's like an army ranger orienteering guy with a compass. Okay. Not <laughs> GPS watch, Gorman. Like that's what he does for like army ranger dudes and stuff. And, you know, we started chatting and he wasn't the only person I was with. It was, I don't know, it was about eight of us. You know, you know how you get into packs and you're running. And this was also pre-COVID. So we don't have to worry about masks or anything. And we just all missed a turn, you know, not putting it on him, just... I'm giving the example of this guy being, you know, an expert and he'd run some before. And by the time we doubled back and went back to where we made the wrong turn, we were so far behind. We knew we were never going to be able to make the cutoff. And you, it's a marathon and a 50 miler on the same course. And when I got back to the area where you go back out, the race director is like, puts the stop sign up. Oh, where, where are you guys going? And it's like, and um, so the guy, Matt, is like, he was really banged up. His ankle, knee, I can't remember what it was. And he's like, look, he goes, dude, you're you're like hobbled. He goes, you're you're not going anywhere. He goes, you got to go in and get some treatment. And he goes, you, where, where are you going? I said, dude, I, I didn't come here to run 20, 28 miles. And he goes, well, you should be on 26. I go, yeah, well, we got lost and went the wrong way. And it took us like an hour to get back or whatever. I was on 29, 30 miles. I was way over where I, I should have been on my watch, but I was only going back out. And the guy goes to me, he goes, are you the one who's been telling all the really funny stories at the aid station? Are you the one who's been cracking everybody up? I go, I think it's me. He goes, all right, I'll tell you what, if you promise me, you're not going to cause any trouble. I'll let you back out on the course. I go, look, I'm not going to cause any trouble, dude. I go, he goes, if they try to turn you around, you're going to promise me you're going to come back. I said, look, I don't want to fall off a cliff and be in the newspaper tomorrow and die. I'm going to come back. So no lie. I get back when they turn me around. I'm at 43 miles. It's pitch black. It's dark. I mean, the only thing you see are people's Jeeps and trucks driving out of the campground. And you see people with toasting marshmallows. What does Ron do? Ron runs seven miles in the fucking parking lot alone. I'm running around in circles by these people's tents. And they're looking at me going like, who is this guy? Who is this nut job? I run around, run around, run around. I go back through the finish line. I mean, I cross the finish line. That's I think I was like matters, and you 50 know point, the mileage. I did 50.8, almost 51. So I did the mileage, didn't get an official medal, didn't care. It didn't, it no, wasn't wait. about that. I had just as high a feeling as you and I both had from JFK. And, um, you know, so that was one of the points, you know, that you had that same energy and enthusiasm that Heather talked about, like, what else can I do? Um, the other big thing is, cause we didn't get to it. You know, I know from your high school years and your competitive years and college years, you know, that you had struggled with some issues with anxiety and, you know, battling through that, you know, and man, we all know in not only in sports, but in life, there's a stigma with this stuff to be able to say, hey, look at look at Michael Phelps for crying out loud, the most decorated Olympian in the history of sports. And it's like you hear his story and you're like, what? Like the first thing people say is, well, why would that guy be depressed? Why would he have anxiety? Well, people just automatically assume if your life is good, you could never have this issue and nothing could be further from the truth. So I know in your own personal journey, it, it's it been part of you from like your high school, college days. So I want to just go like all the way back to that because that's what it reminded me. You had said like for your mental health, you needed it. We all need it for our mental health. But for you specifically, I want you to talk a little about that for everybody. So I wasn't officially diagnosed with depression and anxiety until I was 21. But in high school, I definitely knew I struggled. Um, I knew that there was something off. But, you know, back then, nobody talked about it. You know, the older generations, they it was never talked about. Um, you know, and what I had emailed you is I always talk about how I've always been a fan of the underdog. 
And I, there's nothing more that I love rooting for like the athlete or the team that's against all odds and whatnot. And that's kind of how I always viewed myself that I wasn't always the best athlete, but, you know, built upon hustle and heart. Nobody was going to work harder than me. And if nobody worked harder than me, then nobody could judge me for what I was going through. Um, and that kind of helped me that push and that drive, um, and being an athlete on the field, I felt like nobody could touch me if I was just, you know, scoring goals or, you know, always out hustling somebody out running somebody. Um, and that really is, has been one of the biggest coping mechanisms for me with mental health. Um, right before I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I had a really traumatic experience in college that forced me to finally get the help that I need and, and get, you know, diagnosed and everything like that. But my senior soccer year, I mean, that was one of the worst years of my life, yet it was the most phenomenal soccer I've ever played. And it's because I put all that focus on that. And I thought, you know what, people are going to talk about me. They're not going to like me for X, Y, and Z, but on the soccer field, you know, I'm scoring goals. I'm the leading scorer. Nobody's going to touch me there. So to me, it was a way that I could still pick myself up, even though deep down inside, I felt like I was falling apart. Um, and you know, you read, there's so many amazing athletes out there now, more talking about it. Michael Phelps, you have, you know, Alexi Pavis that came out with that book, Bravey, about, I don't know if you've read it, but about her mom in mental illness. And it just, I was listening to it on book when I was running and literally tears were pouring from my eyes. And I mean, look at David Goggins, same thing, you know, can't hurt me mentality. You've been through enough shit that you feel like nothing can beat me. Like the only person that can beat me is myself. Um, and unfortunately with depression and anxiety, it is a lot of inner stuff, but you know, I'm thankful every day that I'm a runner because it helps me tremendously. Um, I can really, I always say I can solve the world's problems and then create all a bunch of new ones on my own in the matter of, you know, a 20 mile run, but it's just, it, what it's what helps me tick. So it really, ever since high school, even though, like I said, I wasn't diagnosed then, I can tell that I just clung on to being an athlete because it was the way that I could really, you know, survive through it and push through it all. Now, were you able to did you, did you have a coach or anybody that you could like work through or discuss any of these things with? Did you have any teammates that you felt comfortable enough? Because look, it's, th these are not easy things to discuss. And one of the reasons I started this show is because on runs is where people let their guard down, man. It's where they're fully transparent, man. They'll talk about their marriage. They'll talk about struggles they're having with one of their kids or all their kids or, or a, a colleague or a boss at work, whatever it might be. Like we tend to just let our guard down and just be the best version of ourselves out there and not worry about how we're going to be judged when we're running with a close friend or even a group of friends. So did you have anybody that you could like talk through that stuff with when you were, you know, going through it? So be before I answer that, I will say when you just said that, I got chills because I, that's exactly how I feel. There was a time when, you know, I went through postpartum depression really heavily with my daughter. And there was one day I was having such an awful day and I was supposed to meet this girl, this is pre-COVID, from the city that wanted to run with me and I wanted to cancel. And I didn't, thankfully. And I ended up just running with her and pouring my soul out and I have been friends with her ever since. Her name's Sarah. She's since moved up here. But like, I always think back of that run that like as runners, like we just pour it all out into the pavement. 
And we don't, we've never met this person before, yet you're telling them your deepest, darkest secrets. And it's just, it's so amazing. Um, so I, I just had to say that, that I'm a firm believer. It's just you bear your soul on the road and it stays on the road. And it's like, it's just, it's so therapeutic. Um, that, that could be a tra- that could be the trailer for my show. Uh, because that's why I started the show. Um, it's, it's a confessional. It's, uh, it's a safe, it's a safe and, uh, sanct ground where you can just say what you need to say. Um, people aren't going to judge you, not, not your running friends and they're going to, they're going to listen and they're going to let you get it off your chest. And when you need, when you need them to listen, they're going to do, they're going to do the same. And, you know, it's that reciprocal thing. And, um, you know, whether it's one-on-one runs, like you wait, you know, you were going to cancel and see, that's the moral of the story. So everybody listening, you don't cancel on your friends because that's what running is. It's a responsibility. It's an obligation to another human. That's why joining running groups, that's why, you know, hooking up with other running moms that just had a baby is so damn important or, or it's, you know, running on your lunch hour from work. You got to figure it out. I close every show with keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door. Always remember to stay in the fight. I don't just say it because I don't have anything else to say. It's literally like my life. It's what it is. Every day with with the battle of COVID and cut off from the world and not seeing my family, my son living in another state and just feeling like the walls were closing and just me and my dog, like I was like, I can control this moment. I can make myself go out this door. I don't have to run. 20 miles, I can run to Hoboken and back. That's my six mile loop. And if I don't even feel like doing the six mile loop, I'll run a mile or two. So for me, the big problem for me with COVID is I am the ultimate social runner. I'm the person who pulls the groups together and gets those big group runs together. And and I live for that. And when I say big, it doesn't have to be like 10 or 12 people, but sometimes it is that many, you know, on a trail run, but sometimes it's two or three. But the point is that is what so much, so many of us are missing from our lives in this past year, because those moments are our chance to unload and be in a judgment-free zone and just feel like, okay, I now feel better because Ron listened to me and he didn't judge me and he's all right, man. I'll run with him anytime, you know? And Kristen's cool, man. You know, she let me just, you know, go on to my rant and didn't bother me and it was cool. So all good. Definitely run with her again. And that's what, you know, we're, we're with COVID and masking up and everything that needs to be done for us all to be safe. It's just, it's just hard, man. It's hard. I mean, I, you know, not running with people is tough. It, it is. And I, I do think that, you know, everyone, you take for granted the little things in life. Um, that is something running with friends, running in big groups of people. I will never take that for granted ever again, because it is really something special. Well, there's power. I mean, there's real, there's real power. And, um, you know, then in the relationships that we build, you know, whether it's online community relationships via Instagram or Facebook or Strava or any of the ways that we connect with other runners or cyclists or swimmers or whatever your sport is, man, it doesn't have to be running, man. You can come listen to my show. You don't have to be a runner. Um, I don't care if you go out hiking in the woods. I don't care what your jam is. As long as you're active, and you want to live a healthy lifestyle? Come on, man. I'll put you on my show. You know, you, we could talk about what you're into. Um, but the important thing is we all need it for mental health. You know, whether you've ever faced anxiety or depression or any of those things before or not, we all need it because trust me, everybody is facing this stuff now at a very heightened level. 
after this past year because it is a full year. And whatever your situation is, whether you now have to become a teacher, you know, for your kids, as well as like I coached my son and then you had to become a teacher, which I didn't have to do that. But many moms and dads are now having to do that. Some moms or dads have had to quit their job to stay home to teach. Um, Sometimes both of them have quit their jobs. I mean, there's so much unrest in the home life for people that our amount of outlets are just being taken away and taken away. And that space of having that sank time to yourself on a run or with a few people out on a trail, like that is worth unlimited. It's, it's basically, it's worth Fort Knox gold at this point in your life. It's everything. And with my training every day, I go to a local gym with the same, you know, six hammers that I go with. We all wear our masks. Um, and then I run after, but it's always when I'm leaving class to go for my run. I'm like, I, I always say this every day now. Well, it's all downhill from here. Like I just peaked at the top of my day at 6 a.m. in the morning, you know, like, because that is what I look forward to the most, you know, I, being around a small group of people in a safe environment with masks and then running on the road, not being, you know, being untouchable before all the madness starts. So. I couldn't agree. I just, running has virtually in so many ways saved my life. Um, You know, and to go back to your question about the coaches thing, I think, you know, my soccer coaches, I'm extremely lucky. My high school soccer coach was basically like family. Um, He was an older man. He was my confirmation teacher. Um, You know, he coached actually, he coached my dad in basketball when he was in high school, you know, very small school I went to. Um, and he kind of just instilled like those basic, like work hard, put your head down, do what has to be done. Um, then by the time I got to college, um, you know, when I was starting to struggle with mental health and not really knowing it, um, the coach that I had for my first three or, uh, freshman through, uh, junior year, I remember anytime I was going through a hard time, I would just sit in his office and he would pop on music and talk me through it. And like, kind of let me know that it was okay that I was feeling the way I did. Um, and that was always a really special bond that I truly appreciated. Um, my senior year coach had a different approach to it, but it was a good approach for that time. That was when I was really going through a lot of shit. And I remember him, he wasn't the type of, he was a guy's guy. Like he wanted to coach men and he didn't want to hear about anyone's feelings. But I remember him just being like, look it, just shut the fuck up, get on the field, play your game. If you play well, nobody's going to fucking say a word about you. And that just, that's what I needed. I needed that tough love right then to be like, okay, like get in it. So it's funny that as a runner, all my soccer coaches, I feel like have really shaped my life. I mean, I have had amazing coaches all throughout the years, but those three and like those segments of those tough times in my life have really, they were very important to me. So (laughs) That's, that's really, that's really great stuff. And, um, you know, old school style, you know, when you hear about the things that are happening today and, you know, coaches that are, you know, some awful things go on. I mean, you know, abusing young girls in gymnastics programs or swimming and these things, and it's horrible. It makes you sick. Or even, uh, Mary Kane with Salazar and Wade and weight shaming and these different things. Like it's, it just, it makes your skin crawl, but you know, I like the fact, it really makes me happy that you 
are cool with tough love because, you know, look, I just put a post up the other day about my mom for strongest women. And she's this tiny little Irish woman with eyes that sparkle, (laughs) the color green of your shirt. And I've never met anybody in my life and I'll categorize, categorize men and women as tough as my mom. And when people hear that, then they think, oh yeah, she's going to come up and punch it. No, no, man. She's got this heart of gold and she's got eyes that sparkle and she's got magic inside her like a leprechaun. I say that because she had breast cancer. She's had lymphoma for 25 years. And I was messaging with ribs. I was messaging with ribs about this and she beat COVID. Like most of my friends don't even know she had COVID. Why? Because it's just another thing that everybody in the world needs to jump in on right away. Like, Hey, my brother, like my younger brother, like they're all together in the same household. If you're in the same household with your husband and kids, if one of you gets it, you're all getting it. I mean, come on, let's not pretend for a moment like the rest of you aren't getting it. You're all getting it. So thank God for them. They all got it. They were all okay. But I mean, my mom is going to be 89 years old, Kristen, and she's had lymphoma for 25 years and her pulse oxygen level was better than like my brother and sister-in-law. So that's like, amazing. that is that's my person. That's who I channel. That's who I think of who she was fearful of raising three boys, you know, that we were going to be soft and we wouldn't be tough enough. And although my dad was around, he wasn't, you know, close with us. He was around, but not in the picture, not the way divorced moms and dads tend to be today, where everything is kind of done together and more time is invested. And thankfully for me, you know, I've always been, you know, in the center of my son's life and still am. But um, you know, no one on earth to me has ever been tougher, but you know, as far as tough love, man, if I came back from the park, like bleeding and she like, look at me, like, what are you doing back here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, yeah, you know, do you think this is okay? She's like, yeah, you know what a band-aids are like, go patch yourself up, go back to the park. You know, or if I ever said anything like, it's like, yeah, if you're not tough enough to play with your older brother then play with your younger brother or play with your own friends, like like, I mean, and, and we've talked about this years after Kristen, because I'd be like, and she'd be like, oh God, I would just want to strangle myself for some of the things that I said to you boys. But I was just so afraid that you guys weren't going to be tough and you weren't going to be strong and you weren't going to be manly. And I just, I couldn't live with that. So I had to be that way. And I was like, I loved it, you know, but at the time I'd be like, man, what do I need to have? Like, you know, a bone coming out of my body part for my mom to think I'm actually hurt. But I remember that, but now... It's what channels everything about who I am. Like when I'm out there doing the hardest thing in my life, you know, and just like you're talking about having a coach with tough love, like I think it just builds character, man. I couldn't agree more. And like, honestly, like not like I'm not getting like into the gender stuff, but you know, women, like, you know, the whole thing, like, you know, as a woman, I feel like you have to be a force. You have to. And I I am showing tough love to my daughter because I want her to be this bold, big personality person that isn't going to take shit from anybody (laughs) just because, you know, she's like this small, cute little petite thing. Um, And I definitely think that too. I mean, I, on the soccer field, like I wouldn't be afraid to cleat somebody if they, you know, went (laughs) face up into me, like F that, like, you know, um, that's the way it has to be. And you know, that's part of me that I feel like why I have fallen in love with ultra running so much, because it really takes that kind of force, that mentality of that. Yeah, people are going to maybe fish faster than me, whatnot, but I'm not going to fucking quit on myself and I'm not going to not finish this race. And it, it just, it's 
it, it builds character and it's so much. And sometimes you just need tough love. You do. <laughs> you really, really do. Yeah. We're, we are so same, same page on that. Um, and yes, um, it doesn't work, uh, for everybody's style, but for me, thankfully, I love coaches that were that way. I love coaches who were in my face. Cause I'd be like, what, you don't, what the fuck does he think? I'll fucking show this guy. Are you kidding me? Like, I got, I got this man. Like, let's go. And, you know, I remember, you know, just, just things that would happen. And it's like, you just want to show him, show him how tough you are, man. Like, and I was small, man. My older brother was like twice my size, you know? So I had to be feisty, man. Like for one thing, playing football and him and his friends were twice my size, man. If they caught me, I was going to get killed, man. So I was working on my moves, my speed, everything, man. I, I had to get the hell away from those guys, man. But that's what I love. And what I said before, like I've always loved the underdog because the underdog is always, you know, uh, overlooked. They are underappreciated. And, and that's like being the underdog is when you really get to like, you know, that's full of grit. Like you get to really like show up and show the world who you are, like, despite like what they think. So I don't know. That's like a really big thing for me. That's going like way back. But like, I just, the underdog thing and really just just showing your force is just, it's a big part of who I feel like I am deep down inside. So resonates with me a lot. Yeah. That's, um, that's something, you know, you have to learn in life to be really successful. You got to learn how to play to your strengths. You got to learn where you're weak or where your shorter comings are. And, you know, like I, you know, that's what Goggins talks about all the time, man. He talks about postmortems all the time. Well, we do them in my sales business career my whole life. When we win or lose, you do a postmortem always. You, that's not the time to be like, hey, it's Kristen's fault. It's Ron's fault. No, 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 man. It's a time to be real and say, hey, what went wrong? Why did we lose? Why did we win? How did we win? Like, where did we fall short? Where did we exceed expectations? Like in the same way, you got to be able to look in the mirror. That's why I love Goggins so much. That's why he's always going to be my guy because it's not about me versus anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I am always going to want to be at the top of my age group. I want to be world ranked as a master's runner. I want to be super competitive and all those things, but it's me against me. That's what this battle is about. How much can I get out of my body? How many ways can I test myself and show that I can try to be, you know, extraordinary. Like he talks about, you know, you know, making your mark and, you know, like, you know, standing out, uh, being uncommon amongst the uncommon is my, one is my most favorite thing ever. And I remember thinking like the morning of the 60 mile run I did for Ribs's birthday and all my friends are like, dude, what are you out of your mind? It's going to be below zero. Like just move the day. Like don't run on January 29th. I go, A, January 29th is my birthday. B, it's my birthday. C, I'm running on my birthday. D, I'm not changing the date. And they're all like, dude, you're just run like two days from now when it's going to be like, I go, no, I'm running on my birthday. And they're like, they should, they should know better. It. They should know better. Um, but like, I knew, like I went down the street and I had taken a hard fall on my knee like five days before and I could barely walk. I mean, I knew something was really wrong. I smashed my knee so hard, like I couldn't put any weight on it. I'm like, well, I'll be okay. I'll just take a day off. And then for me to take two days off should have been a red flare to anybody because I don't take days off unless like something's really wrong. Two days off, three days off, four days off, five days off. The next day is January 29th. And I'm like, okay, it's the morning and I'm ready. Cause I mean, I'm ready. You know what it's like. I mean, anybody who's ever done anything, a regular marathon, a half for any big race you've ever done, it doesn't have to be a marathon. When, when your day comes and you've trained 
you're ready. And I just was like, I'm ready. I mean, I don't know how my knee is going to be, but I'm ready. And I mean, I didn't even make it, you know, a block down, you know, from my building and my knee was already like banging. And I'm like, oh boy, I might have to turn around and just like come back. And I'm like, nobody really cares whether I run 60 miles or not. I don't know Tommy Rivers Poozy. He's not going to care if I fail on this thing. And then of course I can play my own Goggins mind games. I'm just like, no, 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 no. There'll be no turning around. There's no stopping. You know, we'll just go to Hoboken and we'll see how it feels in Hoboken. Like distract yourself. The wind's blowing 35 miles an hour. It's 50 below. My face is red as a tomato. And you know, I didn't have any music. I had no podcasts on. I wasn't listening to my Goggins audiobook. It was just me and me and just trying to almost so in a sense. The games you play. Yeah, it Those was. Those are exactly it. Yeah. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to care. You it's, know, I'll just sit here. It's, it's, it's all mental. I never knew who David Goggins was. And I feel shameful saying this now. But last summer, a girl that I run with was like, you have to listen to David Goggins' book on audiobook while they're training. And I don't usually listen to music, anything. And I listened to that book and I literally felt like at any moment of the day, I would run through a wall just because of the things he would say. He makes you want to run through a goddamn wall. He's unbelievable. So you talk about that knee pain. I'm sure you were thinking about him when he was going through a uh, bad water. Yeah, Bad exactly. water duct taping up his, his fractured, you know, fractured body parts. I, I've, uh, he's messaged with me also, David, and, um, I had the pleasure of meeting him briefly in central park with one of my, uh, ultra running friends, by the way, she won the JFK 50. She, she won, not it, not that much slower than Camille's time, by the way. Okay. So like a few minutes apart. Um, and by the way, the year she ran it was the year the, the course was covered in snow, the AT. Oh, so yeah. her it's, conditions were way harder than the year like that you and I just, you and I just ran. So, and she's also come like 22nd in Boston. She was like one place behind Sarah Hall. So she's, she's, um, she's an absolute beast. Um, and she knows David and her husband, David mentions in the book, like they've actually done some ultras where he, there was one race where he got hurt and had to walk like a huge amount. And it was with her husband. So they, yeah, they actually know him and we were in central park running the loop and he stopped. He talked to us for like 15 or 20 minutes and it was my dream. I thought he was going to come on my podcast. He's, he's not going to come on the <laughs> podcast. So I'm not going to give up, but yeah, he come was, on, David he, we need you. <laughs> yeah, we need you, David, but I messaged him. He, he messaged back on my 60 mile run thread and you know, that was, that meant everything in the world to me. So just to have people notice what you're doing, um, you know, I think it'd be a good segue into all the things that you're doing, you know, starting the foundation, you know, things that you went through with your postpartum, because, you know, this isn't my show about my 60 mile run, <laughs> although it does work into Goggins and all the stuff that we're both talking about sharing, because it's how we, you know, get through the battle, how we focus on how we can do something hard. We have to use the tools that we have. And, you know, you and I might use the same tools. Somebody else is going to use something completely different. But for us, they work. And some people can't maybe handle the Goggins language stuff. To me, the more the merrier. But he actually has a clean version out now. But I agree with you on the audiobook. Adam Skolnick is amazing. That was his ghostwriter. And the, you know, the back and forth they do between each at the end of every chapter is worth oh. the price of admission. Cause I think I know every word in the book. I think I literally know all the words in it from listening to it so many times, but that dialogue that they have, it's like you and I having a chat right now. It's just like, David, did that really happen? You know, no, it's like, I, love it because I feel like after every story he tells, he's always like, man, 
really? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. Yes. He's like just as shocked as everybody else. Yeah. It's how I highly recommend it. And especially if somebody's going out and writing their first ultra and questioning themselves, my God, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to run a hundred miles. I'm going to run 200 miles. (laughs) He just makes you want to run through the wall. Yeah. That's the best way to explain it. True. I mean, look, there's no, no person who's ever had an impact on social the way he does. He could put a post up about frying eggs and it'll have like 7 million views, you know, like (laughs) somebody else does something profound, you know, about the Pope and religion. And there's like, you know, 40 views, like he does a post about anything and it's like 7 million. I'm like, what? What? Yeah. What is this post? I'm like, oh, okay. It's nothing. It's just another regular Goggins post. Like, I'm thinking, oh, this must be something really great. No, it's just regular Goggins post. Like, you know, whatever. Seven million people. Um, We're just sitting here fangirling over. Uh- <laughs> that's okay. I mean, look, it's 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 all good. Um, and for anybody out there, you know, like you said, it's it's necessary to, you got to figure out your toolkit. Um, what's it going to take? If you're going to venture into any longer distance, if you're going from half marathon to marathon, marathon to ultra, whatever, if you're going longer, you got to figure out a, what fuels do I need on the course? Okay. What equipment can I wear? That's going to be good for me. Sneakers, support, clothing, all that stuff. Is there going to be people out there supporting me, giving me drinks, fuel, gels, et cetera. But most important thing in the world that everybody forgets about is right between the ears. What's the mind game? What's the mental mindset game? What's your mantra? or mantras, what are you going to do when things go wrong? Because they always go wrong and they will go go wrong wrong. and they're going to unravel if you're not prepared. So it's almost like planning when something goes wrong. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. So I think, um, uh, one of the things that I really enjoy talking about is community. And, you know, I know you've done some pretty amazing stuff, you know, starting a foundation, but, you know, going, I think we maybe backtrack all the way back to your own, uh, postpartum experience and then, you know, how that shaped you to get involved with, uh, you know, starting the foundation and all, cause I just think it's really awesome work and, you know, kudos to you for, you know, what you've done, getting that off the ground. So tell, tell us all about it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, with history of depression and, and anxiety, I had no idea what postpartum depression was. Um, you know, after we had our daughter, my husband was home with me for two weeks. Um, it was, I had her October 21st, 2016. Um, it was great when he was home. I had my own little time, but you know, and he was coaching basketball. So he was gone all day. And I, my grandmother, who I was extremely close to was dying in the hospital. So my mom was always with her and I just was not feeling all the rainbows and butterflies moms usually talk about. Um, I was severely depressed. I, anxiety raged like no other. And I just was straight up miserable. I just was unhappy with everything. Um, and it wasn't until a month in, I remember reading an article, um, on Facebook about a mom who had postpartum depression, who had taken her own life and sitting there thinking, Oh my God, how could this happen? And, you know, fast forward six months later, um, I was seven months postpartum and my good friend also named Kristen was 10 months postpartum girl in life um, from postpartum depression. Um, That launched me into the deepest um, hole that I think I've ever been in. Um, It was really, really hard. Um, Basically at that point, I was, I felt like I was living a separate life than my husband and my daughter. And I just was, I was so filled with so much grief and sadness and just, I, it's so hard to think back on because 
it's hard to think back on because I, I actually don't understand how I got through it. But I really do. What I always say is that, sadly enough, losing my friend Kristen saved my life because it forced me to get help that I obviously needed. It kind of awoke my husband. Not that he didn't think, he doesn't understand. He's a male. He's never going to understand. But I think it really showed him how how much it can affect somebody. Um, and for me, that's when I really started throwing myself into running. I finally got a running coach. I um, was running Chicago that year and I just obsessed about all things running. And to me, it just helped me keep afloat. Um, so when we were coming up, her birthday was on Mother's Day weekend um, the following year. Um, and I wanted to find a way to honor her the best way I could, which was through running. So I teamed up with someone, Kelly. Um, she runs a bunch of virtual races for causes. It's more miles, more fun. She helped me create the Run to Believe, which is a virtual run held on Mother's Day weekend. Um, and all the proceeds go to Every Mother Counts. Um, so this year will be the fourth year, actually. And for the first three years, we've raised over $13,000 to go to every mother count, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, and then it was just this past December that I was sitting with my husband having a couple drinks. And I said, I thought of this crazy idea running the other day. And he's like, all right, let's hear it. What are we going to do now? <laughs> and I said, I want to start a foundation for postpartum depression in honor of Kristen. And he basically was like, you know what? You have never told me that you wanted to do something and you've never not done it. So just go ahead and do it. Um, so luckily I have some really good friends who have gone through the process and have been helping me. Um, we're in the process right now of making a website, but basically the whole mission behind it is to raise funds that will go to programs across the U.S., um, programs that are specifically for postpartum depression that will go to them to help support them. Also to kind of use it as a resource to raise awareness, um, people tell their stories. And to also, my big vision is to have, you know, a, a map of the United States where someone can click on their state and see all the different postpartum depression programs or, you know, um, you know, facilities in that state that they can get help in. Because, you know, postpartum depression, there's a lot more awareness now. There's a, It's come a long way, but there's so much more that needs to happen. Um, you know, it's, I forgot the stat, but it's like one in five or one in nine moms end up with postpartum depression. And it's something that can easily be helped, just like mental health. Um, it's just something that we don't talk about enough. There's a big stigma behind it. Um, I spent a lot of my life hiding the fact that I suffer from severe depression and anxiety. And when I lost Kristen, I decided that that was enough, that I was going to start speaking out and telling my story and telling her story to help others. Um, and it's been really therapeutic and it hasn't always been easy. Um, but I will tell you this, that even on my darkest days, I feel a lot more proud of the person I am today than the person I was 10 years ago, um, hiding and trying to act like I was perfect. So, um, it's very, this year has been a planning year for it. I, I'm hoping that the site will get launched in a couple months. Um, but then I really hope that next year we can take it and run and get people involved in however they want to do. Um, I know that um, Kristen's husband, his sister, who also suffered from, suffers from postpartum depression really badly, is very anxious to get involved. And I was like, hey, when this is all up and running, you take with it and you do what you want with it as well. You make it your own and you use it for 
for you. And I think that it's a beautiful thing about our community um, and the Instagram community is because there are people that you do not know at all. You will talk to every day, you will like their posts, you will follow through on their training and they will support you more than the person that lives across the street. And being able to connect with people like that and have people tell me their stories or tell me how much me sharing my own story has helped them in any way, that to me is the most important thing of having a social media platform or a story. Um, And I get it. It's not for everybody. And there's no shame in that. But if you're brave enough to share your story, you can change somebody else's life. And that's somebody else's life who you never know how bad it could get. Um, So it really has become such a passion of mine and all in honor of my friend, Kristen, who really was one of the most amazing people that I've met, we met them um, on our honeymoon in 2014. Um, and just one of those people that right when I met her, it was an instant bond and she felt like a sister to me. So, and I really do think that this is the best way to honor her and just keep, you know, her spirit alive. Um, that was a lot that I just said all there, but <laughs> it's just been, it's, I'm glad that I'm taking the step that I was afraid to take. And this foundation was definitely it. There'll be a lot of work, but I also think that it'll bring good. And if it helps just one person a year, one person a year, then it'll be well worth it. So that's, that's beautiful stuff. So I'll give you, I'll give you a clap. (laughs) I'm super, super proud of you uh, for the, for taking the step. Um, So many people in life want to change something, um, they feel strongly about something and maybe it, it, they didn't personally experience it. Maybe they didn't have postpartum, maybe they didn't have, you know, that particular issue. Um, but it still impacted them. But a lot of times people get stuck and they want to come up with this perfect idea and they want to flesh it out a hundred percent before actually moving to an action phase and actually doing something. And then by the time they do, They've lost their inertia. They've lost their momentum. They've lost that the real reason that they wanted to get in there and get into that ring and fight for this cause or this initiative. And it's sad because if people would be willing to just kind of put it out there the way that you did and just not worry about if every single, you know, I is dotted and every T is crossed, you know what? You can figure a lot of those other things out after the fact. Okay. You took the actual step, you brought it to life. And the first things that you did before you started the foundation was just doing the run to honor her. You started there. So like you took smaller baby steps just to recognize, you know, that you lost your friend and that, you know, you had been through that experience yourself and that whether it's one in five, one in nine, it doesn't matter. It's a lot of people. Okay. So a lot of people are going, going through that experience. And of course, you know, men, um, I don't care. You could be the most sensitive man on earth. You know, we don't deliver babies. We don't have those hormones. We don't have any idea, you know, what those feelings are like from, you know, carrying the baby through to delivering the baby. Yeah. We're a huge part of it and do everything in the world we can to be supportive, but you know, we're not going to go through those crazy highs and lows of emotional swings during that whole process. And especially not being able to truly understand it, you know, after it's over. So, you know, it's just one of those things in life where women have got to support 
each other. And it doesn't mean men can't help. My God, I'm, I'm always up for helping with any cause. But, you know, some ideas I know just, just thinking about it. I mean, there's so many people who will volunteer their time. I do. You do. I, I mean, I guarantee you there'll be people right in your own Instagram community who are probably counselors or work with people that have experience in this area. I guarantee you, you could probably set up like Zoom calls or, um, you know, they don't have to be it could be one-on-one. -on -one. It could be group calls. And you know what? I don't have to know shit about postpartum. You know what? If somebody is willing to listen to another person, that is a huge piece of the problem. The same way we talk about running. If somebody's willing to come on there and open up your platform, your channel, and I've got six or eight screens, like, you know, like the TV show used to be, um, you know, um, which I used to enjoy watching so much, you know, the circle gets the square or whatever the hell that one was called <laughs> with Paul Lind, um, you know, like that kind of a show. But the point is, if somebody's just willing to listen to you and let you talk about what you're going through and what your experience is, and if they feel like they're shut out or you know, not picking on any men, believe me, it's, maybe it's not the husband at all, but maybe the woman just doesn't feel she can talk to him or she can't talk to her own mom. Maybe she doesn't have a mom or sisters or brothers around. Maybe she just doesn't feel comfortable talking about it with somebody else. So the fact that you got this thing off the ground and you, you're, you moved forward with the idea, it's just, it's fantastic. So that's always, you know, for everybody out there that's listening, it's super inspiring to hear, you know, the steps that you took to get this thing moving. But for everybody listening, there's probably something out there in your world right now that maybe you've been thinking about like this with this kind of passion. You know what? Now's the time to act, man. Now's the time. You know, the world is upside down, you know, like make a change, man. Make a change for somebody. Um, I just know um, putting all of my focus on others and just trying to raise money for Tommy and his family and stuff, that's more important to me than winning a bunch more medals on my wall and, you know, running a PR and, you know, the truth is I'm not going to run any PRs at 60. I'm not going to beat my times in my thirties, but I can still run fast. Um, so I can still run a race and really put everything I have on the line. But right now at this point in my life and where I am, it feels a lot more important to help other people and to do something for other people, whether it's a family or it's a lot of families like you're doing to me. That's the kind of stories I want to share on my show. I want to talk to other runners who are doing something and that are having an impact, whether it's via fundraising, starting foundations, doing things for others. And sure, I still want to talk to people that are badass runners all, all day long, man. I'll take <laughs> David Goggins. We'll take David Goggins on here any day. You know, Tommy, Tommy Ribs can roll up in here, you know, anytime once he's ready to, to get back out and do a show. But it's uh it's inspiring. And I know that you know, any mom out there that hasn't even had a baby yet or any mom who's gone through it, um, they'll listen to the show. They'll see the link to the foundation. There are other things. I'm sure they'll follow you, you know, Mel and Kay on Instagram. Like that's what this show for me is all about. I want people to network and connect and get more involved in the community and just, you know, share inspiring stories. So good stuff, man. I love that. And honestly, you know, Postpartum depression is just one of, you know, so many mental illnesses out there. So even if you're not a mom and have never had postpartum depression, you know, a lot of the things can be common traits with just depression or mania or things like that. So I often find that I do get messages from people that say, you know, I don't have this, but I have this and I know exactly how you feel. Um, so, you know, above all, I think, you know, I'm trying to specialize in this, um, this postpartum depression, because there's not a lot on there, but the whole mental health stigma as a whole just needs to be, you know, 
on a chopping block right now. Um, I'm not a big Royals fan. I don't follow them, but you know, Meghan Markle, I'm sure you heard about the interview. She openly admitted now here she married literally a prince here. She is talking about how she didn't want to live anymore. And to hear someone like that say that it's very sad, but it also, those are the things that we need to hear from people like that, because that makes it more real for people that somebody that has, you know, X, Y, and Z and has it all in the world can still suffer like that. Um, so I think that the more people talk about it, the more awareness it raises, it raises and the more it brings people together. Um, and, you know, going back to what you said about getting involved and doing something, you know, I, for years, just, I believe that running, I was going to run the miles anyway, so I might as well run it to raise money. I've run about a couple races for every mother counts. I've run for um, Team Fox. I've run for Run for ALS. Um, because like you, I'm going to run these miles. Why not put it to good use and actually raise money and do something for somebody else? Um, that's the thing. You don't have to create a foundation. You don't have to, you know, do whatever. Just pick a race and then do something that's close to your heart in some way or close to somebody else and raise money for it raise $5, raise 10,000, who cares? It's just, it's a good thing to do. And I really believe that that finish line feels that much sweeter after completing it for a foundation or for a purpose, because you did it not just for yourself, but you did it to help somebody else. So I just, I can't tell people enough, like just you, you, you have a cause that is important to your life, find a foundation, find a company that's related to it, email them, ask how you can run for them. I mean, it's just, it, and it's a great time to do it because every single part of the world is hurting in some way or another right now. So I think it's just, it's an amazing thing to do. And I really, I push, I don't push. I, what's the word on I hope that everyone will at least do it once in their lifetime. That's that's so well said. And um, for anybody, you know, doing something for another person is it's the highest calling. Um, you'll always get back a millionfold whatever efforts you put forth, whatever energy you put forth, whatever however many hours you. It doesn't matter any measurable way um, that any of us you know, rate things that we do, um, whatever that commitment level is, whatever the amount of hard work is and effort. And I've even had people say to me, oh, ma'am, you got injured running the 60 miles. Trip. So, I don't care. Like <laughs> to me, like, so what? <laughs> like, I'm not missing the Olympic games. Like, it's all good. You know what? Um, I've gotten to know this guy and his family, um, and they're beautiful humans and they've been through so much of a struggle and suffering and their, their financial obligations are just mind boggling, but you'll never hear them writing anything like that. You'll never see them saying anything like that. Um, they're not trying to paint some picture like, Hey, please help us. It's nothing like that at all. Um, but when you do something for an individual person or a group of people, you will always feel better about yourself. So that's powerful stuff. Um, super proud of you. I I think um, the the run that you're doing now, um, maybe we need to do a race and we need to promote it and all the money um, for the entry fees for the races go to uh, the foundation or something. I've got you know I'll I'll think of some ideas because I always like to think about fundraising ideas and ways to promote and engage because um, you know those kinds of 
things uh, spread and the energy and the vibe is good. And um, so if you get a bunch of moms together and maybe it's an all women's race, you know, that's fine. Um, but, you know, I would always, you know, give the opportunity to use my platform to help promote it. You could come back on or have other people on um, and we could do a panel or something like that if it would help, you know, when the time comes, if you have some big idea like that. So just throwing it out there. I would just love to, I mean, this is aside from the fact, but I would love to come on with David <laughs> Yeah, well... <laughs> I think a lot, pretty much anybody I think in my audience loves calling with David Coggins, but yeah, I think, I uh, yeah. No, I appreciate it so much. And that's what it is. Like, it's just community we have on Instagram and everybody kind of working together um, and sharing everybody's causes and what they're doing. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And that's, I don't know. It's just people that don't, I have friends still that are like, oh, you met them on Instagram. I'm like, you just don't get it so special and it's so unique and it's so I know it's helped me tremendously especially this year so I I agree with you on that um because look you're our real life friends people we've grown up with in high school and college and our neighbors our community that we live in our church groups whatever however we organize ourselves in life and all these different groups and social groups we fall in and out of you know, people are really, they're either they're not going to really like the whole running thing. Most people don't want to <laughs> see any more pictures of Kristen Iran up in their feed, you know, running another race with some stupid <laughs> pictures of us running. So that's a thing, but I couldn't agree more. The support I've gotten, mostly all of my fundraising money has come from Instagram connections who just love Tommy and they love uh, team ribs and all of that. And you know, I'm just going to keep it going. So, um, I'm Love not, it. you know, I'm just going to keep it going and, um, I'm riding my indoor bike behind me and cranking the miles <laughs> up on that. And that's all I can do for right now. And, you know, maybe in another month's time or so, um, you know, I've always been a quick healer, but this is a, uh, the fracture is just really slow thing to heal. It's in a really weird spot. Um, it's like where the top of the femur comes behind the knee and, um, all the impact, all the impact of the body, you know, it's there. Um, so, but to me, I'm, I'd rather it be something like that than ligaments or that other stuff, because, um, I've been lucky that my whole life, I've never had an injury like that. I've been running for 30 years and I've never had a serious running injury. I mean, sure. I've had muscle tweaks and, and, and soreness and, you know, taking a week off here or there, but I've never had a serious, I've never had a stress fracture or an injury or anything like this. So this really sucks, but that's a really good run. Like no pun intended, but it's a really good that's a long time i mean it just, yeah are you kidding it's me awesome. it's crazy it's totally crazy and and if you think about it we ran 50 miles in jfk and there were people out there you know people cheering for us i ran 60 miles by myself on the coldest day of the year like you know like no one was even outside the wind was blowing so much and you know like i to your point i channeled the energy of, I went on Facebook live and I just pretended like everybody in the world cared whether I ran that 60 miles. I know they didn't, but that's what I told myself. Like I got to finish this run for Tommy ribs. I can't, I can't stop because my knee's hurting. I can't not finish this run. I gotta, I gotta run 60 miles. How can I ask people to donate to raise money from if I don't finish 60 miles? So it's, it's all up what we can create up here. I know. You know and it, I will say this with JFK. So my husband was kind of just like, uh, here, another race, you know, what am I going to do all day? And it didn't seem like he was that interested. And he's always been really supportive. So I was kind of like bummed out about it. But I will tell you this, when I was running up that hill to that finish line, he was 
screaming bloody murder and crying <laughs> and saying you fucking did it and that will forever be one of my most like mem- favorite memories and i remember saying to him after like i didn't think you cared that much and he was like are you kidding me you just ran 50 miles so it's hard because you feel like other people don't care but the right people do care though too not to say that, you know, they're bad people who don't care, but like the people that truly love you and know what you go through, they care. They get it or they kind of get it. But that is like forever. Like it's we have it on video and it's the most amazing thing in the world. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of a bummer that we had to have the masks on, but totally understandable. Yep, um, it is. I mean, you know what? It, it enabled us to have that race and that's what matters. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it kind of sucks that, you know, you're, my, my first 50 mile uh, finish picture is basically with the cloth over my head. Can't see my face, but you know what? I'll take it because I did it and that's all that matters. So, yeah, I feel, I feel the same way. Um, but I have to say it's super impressive the stuff that you're doing, you know, getting the foundation off the ground, um, putting it out there, sharing with your Instagram following with your friends and the community, you know, some of the struggles that you faced and how you're, how you're tackling them. Um, I think just what you said, when I mentioned Michael Phelps or you mentioned, uh, uh, what's her name, you know, in the Royal interview the other day, it's, it's true. It needs high profile people to admit they're struggling with some of these things for people to say, wow, this is, this is really mainstream. Um, and yeah, this is more common than people are ever really willing to admit. And at the end of the day, running can help us all so much. Um, and, and particularly with in the COVID times in this past year that we've been through, I can't even imagine if I couldn't run all of last year, like it's only been January 29th, February 29th. So it's been about five weeks right now since I've been able to run. And that to me, it feels like it's been like a year. It's not that long. It's five weeks. But when you're used to running every day, but the only time you take a day off is when you just feel like taking a day off. It's not because something's wrong. You just feel like, yeah, you know what? I'm too tired today or I'm just going to like let it go. I'm not feeling it today. I'll run tomorrow. It's very different when you just know you can't. and when that's taken away from you, um, and you know, I speak for the 60 plus generation as I just turned 60 and you're obviously a lot younger, but to really truly appreciate the magnitude of how important something is in your life, it has to get taken from you at least once. Um, and when that is taken from you and it doesn't have to be taken from you for a long time, it can be for a couple of weeks, it could be for a month, but it's at a time when you need it most that's when you'll really appreciate it. And I think we all need to appreciate just how valuable running is in our lives because it keeps us together. It helps center us all and it makes us the best versions of ourselves, whatever they are. It doesn't mean that they're great versions. It's just the best versions <laughs> of ourselves. I mean, we all know we got some crazy ass people, including me at the top of that list. Um, um, and right my, my guests that come yeah. on the show tend to be of camp crazy uh, because that's the kind of people <laughs> we like. We like those, those wild, crazy ass people because they're fun and interesting. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to talk to boring people, man. Uh, that's, you know, yeah. what? I always say I'm crazy because if I was normal, that would be so boring. Yeah. Like yeah. so boring. Yeah. We don't, we don't do boring. We're, we're, we're not into, we're not into boring at all. So, 
Um, well, Kristen, it's been a blast getting to know you. Um, super fun. Really appreciate everything you're doing out there. And thanks for coming on the show. Is there anything else um, that you didn't get a chance to get to before we roll out of here? Anything big you're thinking about for 2021? Um, I guess my big old thing is, you know, with mental health, I guess, is just, you know, my big thing is to always, you know, my big running mantra is run the mile you're in. And I think about that on a day-to-day basis. Take it day by day. Um, if you're out there, if you're drowning, if you feel awful, if you feel like you're alone, I assure you, you are not alone. And that despite the the highlight reel that can sometimes be Instagram, everybody struggles in some way and you have nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and like you said, just keep running. It's the best thing you can do for yourself. Um, I appreciate you so much for having me. Um, I just, it's, this has been great. It doesn't even seem like we've been talking for that long and it's been over an hour and a half. So it goes to show something. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, it's it's been absolute blast chatting with you. So much fun and great advice for everybody on your mantra and everybody we roll out. So we close out every show the same way. We say <laughs> to everybody, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight, peeps. I love it. Talk to you soon. Wow. Such an inspiring story. Um, Kudos to you, Kristen, on the work that you're doing. Um, These conversations about mental health and anxiety and depression and postpartum depression are just simply not easy conversations and discussions to have. Uh, There's still such a stigma around mental health and mental illness. And I found the conversation stimulating, and I just think she's just doing a wonderful job using the platform that she's created and built for herself on Instagram and her blog, um, speaking on multiple podcasts regarding this, these, um, these areas that um, women struggle with specifically related to postpartum depression. And it's horribly sad that she lost her super close friend, Kristen Nicole Thorson, but she went out there and took the step of forming this foundation and getting it to come to life, the KND Foundation, to honor her friend and to help raise money with the Run to Believe, the virtual run that they do on Mother's Day to celebrate her life. So kudos to Kristen on the work that she's doing and using her platform for good and mixing that in with running because running is always, as we all know, a great reliever of anxiety and stress and helps us in these times, um, these COVID times, which have been so challenging for all of us, which many of us are cooped up and feeling like we need to get out and escape. So good for you, Kristen, on the work that you're doing, um, you know, to help other women that are in this spot um, that are struggling Um, with feelings um, after having a baby or maybe after having more than one baby. Maybe this is a repeat thing for some moms out there. So um, I hopefully moms will tune in and listen to this episode and and it will resonate with them particularly, or if they know of another mom who might be struggling and they recognize some of these symptoms that Kristen talks about, maybe they'll share this episode and it might help them um, get some help because it was one of Kristen's friends that helped her um, you know, go talk to a doctor and, you know, get further treatment, uh, with her own situation. So anyway, good stuff, really inspiring episode. Well done, Kristen. And I hope you all, if you're enjoying the episode, as you always do, as the run chats audience does, please share on Instagram stories on Instagram or Facebook and help us get more people subscribed to our channel. It helps us get more awesome guests like Kristen to appear on the Run Chat Show. So thank you all to everybody who is a regular listener and is taking part of things and helping us grow the Run Chats 
audience. So as, as I say to you at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. I can't right now, so run a few extra miles for me. I will appreciate you very much. So keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Peace out.